Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep history alive at the community level. I'm Tara Barrett, ICH researcher with Heritage NL. On today's episode, we talk with Jessica McDonald and Christian Dobble, who are both participants of Heritage NL's Mentor Apprentice Program. Mentor Jessica McDonald is a textile artist who began her studies in weaving through the textiles program at the College of the North Atlantic and find her skills at NASCAD University. Weaving was once a thriving and viable craft for many in Newfoundland and Labrador, but the lack of resources and active weavers inspired Jessica to research its history and teach the craft to others. She's presented and taught workshops at the Anna Templeton Center and the Craft Council of Newfoundland and Labrador, and continues to promote and bring awareness to the craft. Apprentice Christian Dobble, an avid knitter, became enamored with weaving in 2019 and decided to pursue it further. They built a small loom from a canvas frame where they began to practice basic tapestry weaving. Christian was then gifted a rigid heddle loom and has now completed over 20 projects in the past two years. They aspire to further their skills through this apprenticeship. Hi, Jessica and Christian, and welcome to the show. All right, so just to start off, can you, um, can you both kind of give me a little bit of background on where and kind of when you grew up, when you were born, and the communities that you grew up? Okay, so I was born in, uh, technically in St. John's at the General Grace, um, but uh, my family was living in CBS, so we, that's where I grew up for the most part until I was eight. Um, so I, uh, I was born here in Newfoundland, but when I was eight, we moved to Alberta, and I mean, as an eight-year-old, you don't get much say in that. Um, so I lived in Alberta actually until I was 21, 22. So I was there for 14 years and, um, and I was kind of actually missing that sense of community, but also knowing I was from Newfoundland, but had like literally no connection to it. So I actually ended up moving home because I didn't know anything about my East coast heritage. Um, so I came back in 2012 um and yeah so I've been here ever since and Christian how about you I'm from Tampa Bay Florida um, the town of Dunedin Florida small little town it's a very Scottish town um, we're sister cities with Sterling Scotland um, and also Summerside PEI which I just found out recently um yeah so I grew up there um and then did my undergraduate degree in North Florida um, so it's been about five years in North Florida. And then in 2017, I moved to Newfoundland to go to grad school here. And I've been here ever since. And um, Jessica, can you give me a little bit of background on how you got your start in weaving and, and what drew you to the practice? Uh, yeah, it's kind of a funny story. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, when I was in Alberta, I went to school for sewing and costuming and like I've always been interested in textiles all my life and also like you know being around mostly of the women in my house or like the family you know they they always did something with their hands crafty wise and so um, I kind of picked up on that a lot so I continued with it through to post-secondary but when I was in uh, Olds College in Alberta um I actually failed all the textile programs, like the, the, I, like, <laughs> like how fabric is constructed and, and everything. It didn't click with me. Uh, and so I was very much into the actual sewing and, and costuming stuff. Um, but then when I moved here in 2012, I took the textiles program here. Cause I was like, I need to understand how cloth is made. Like I can't 
avoided. <laughs> um, and I, I took it and uh, the irony of all this is I hated it. Uh, I thought weaving was the worst thing. <laughs> so why are people doing this? <laughs> but uh, through doing it, uh, like it, it's a lot of work to set up, but like it's so gratifying and uh, satisfying at the same time. So I kind of went just knee deep then. I, I jumped right in. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I, I've just been doing that that ever since. So that was like 2014. I really kind of took off with it. Um, so I don't actually have any weavers in my family at all, but it's that excitement over textiles as a whole that got me excited. And then it kind of went from there. Not as long of a history for me. Basically, so I've been a musician for like the past 15 years now. And during my undergrad, I got into knitting and I thought, you know, this is really cool. But when you live in Florida, you know, working with wool and knitting is just not a thing. Um, but when I found out I was moving to Newfoundland, a friend of mine who was a librarian, Laura Gale, sat me down, got me all the materials and like really got me going on knitting. And I was like, I, cause when I moved to this climate, I want to be prepared. And then, you know, I did that a little bit and eventually around like 2018, I started really getting into knitting and started like doing a lot more. And then of course, as anyone in like crafts and fiber arts knows, it's just like a gateway to every single other sort of thing. So I was like, oh yeah, you know, it'd be cool. Like weaving <laughs> naturally. So I, yeah, I just, I think it was the summer of 2019. I decided to just build a little frame loom. I got, I watched like every video on like tapestry weaving on YouTube. I was like, I'm going to do this. That following winter, I was like, okay, I'm going to get a rigid head old loom and get more serious about it. And that just happened to be snowmageddon leading into COVID. So yeah, I really found myself during all this lockdown, like I couldn't play music anymore. Um, really, I could do it by myself, but I lost all of music community and I just got really invested in fiber arts and textiles because I really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed like the slowing down and the process of it all. Um, and I found unlike music, you can finish a project if you're knitting or weaving, you can say, hey, I did this. Whereas as a musician, you can like, you're never really done learning a tune or something like the job is never complete. Um, so I really just like got really invested in having something to show. And at the end of the day, if it's not good, it'll still keep you warm and look good. So, you know, here we are. And, and Jessica, can you tell me a little bit more about kind of, um, I know you said you kind of failed those first uh, textile classes or those uh, those classes in Alberta. So what age were you when you first kind of got into fiber arts or textiles? Oh, my gosh. Like really young. You know, it was for as long as I can remember, you know, like my aunt Bernice has been knitting around me since I was born and, and my great grandmother, she was always sewing. So there was always just like this presence around like family was always around family was I have a big family um we're loud we're big we're always around you know but someone's always doing something with their hands like someone's always making something or, or doing something crafty and so I kind of just like fell into that I felt uh I remember I think I was like six when I think my nan or my aunt taught me how to just knit a square 
it didn't end up being a square, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and I remember just making squares and giving them to people, you know, and that was that was before I moved away. So I've always had this interest uh, in textiles and, and especially textiles within the home, too, because that's what I grew up with. Um, but, uh, I just liked making, you know, I just liked making something or, or giving it away or, or just like the sheer interest of it. Um, so I, I kept going with that and it's, you know, <clears throat> in high school, I didn't really care about any of my academic classes, but I loved going to fashion or text, you know, just going to the photography, going to anything that was just making. Um, and so it wasn't until later the academic interest came in about like the back, the backstory of all this stuff, uh, how, how I, you know, like I'm making it, which is great, but how did we get to that point? And then that, that started coming in as an interest afterwards. Um, but I started off with the interest in, in making. And can you talk, I'm, I'm going to ask, you know, a bit more about the process of, of weaving yeah. afterwards, but can you talk a little bit about kind of that background and that history because I think that's something that you will both be kind of working on just a little bit of history on weaving can you talk a little bit about that yeah for sure um excuse me um so so like I said I didn't know much about weaving at all um and so which is why I didn't appreciate it at first. I didn't know the history. I didn't know it's 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 wonderful history especially here in Newfoundland uh, and Labrador so um, when I, you know, when I started looking into it, I, I learned a lot about how weaving and, uh, you know, specifically the way weaving and knitting really here, um, re- took off as a means of self-sustainability and, um, and it was interesting because I was looking at it like, oh, I just want to weave for fun or I just want to weave because I can. Like there was such a privilege with that. Um, and when I was reading and doing research, it was like, oh, no, people had to weave because they had to. You know, there was a, a push like we have to keep our, our kids warm. We have to, um, y- you know, we we have to survive. And so weaving was uh, a means that way, uh, to survival. Um, so, you know, we, we know of Anna Templeton and we know of the Jubilee guilds and the women's institutes, but, you know, there was a huge movement back in the day. Uh, and a lot of it was through, you know, very gendered through women. Um, but, uh, there, in my mind, I call it a women's movement in a way because, um, people like Anna Templeton who were field workers for these guilds, um, you know, they traveled all over, um, all over the province and usually in like a really small boat because it's all coastal outport communities, um, to teach these skills for survival, you know, like it was very much about that. And then, um, you know, I, I remember reading an article once where um, Anna Templeton showed up. I can't remember where it was, but she people wouldn't listen to her at first because they were like, we don't have time. Like we have to we have to feed our families. We have to get on the go here. Like we don't have time for these kind of crafts. And she was like, no, this is for you to survive, you know. And so then, you know, the, the men would build the looms and the women would weave and, and it would be uh, a community effort um, to be sufficient like sustained and so uh and then from there uh from there uh 
you know, Nonia pops up and there's this opportunity to sell these woven goods. Once people are, you know, they're self-sustained now, they have their family covered, they can maybe make some more money. Um, those goods get sent to St. John's and then is sold. And so there was actually like a uh, weaving and a commu- um, contributed to this economy, you know, for, for many Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. So um that was really fascinating to learn. Um, so, you know, looking at a loom, you wouldn't just get that, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I found that really fascinating. And I think it's the resiliency is just phenomenal. And so um, as part of kind of this mentor apprentice program, are you going to be looking into a little bit of that history together or or? Yeah, and we've chatted a little bit about that, you know, uh, especially with the fact this is Heritage NL, right? It's not just a, an education program. Um, it's very much how are we keeping this history alive and, and also um, like preserving what's there already and also paying tribute to that. Um, because like I said, without understanding, you don't appreciate it as much. And I think that needs to be brought forth. Um, so I think we've chatted a little bit about, um, you know, the Jubilee Guild has a pattern book they put out with all their patterns. Um, so maybe recreating some things in that, um, doing some more um, educational things like uh, bringing awareness to the history and also the craft. And so there's a better appreciation by others, you know, for this medium. And so, yeah, we've, it's definitely, definitely part of uh, our togetherness. Um, And Christian, can you talk a little bit about, I know you've been posting kind of on your personal Instagram, just like the work that you're currently doing um, with Jessica. So can you talk a little bit about kind of what you're currently learning and and kind of the first steps that you're taking? Yeah. So in the meantime, while we're waiting for the loom and materials to show up, um, we've been really focused on uh, very basic like techniques and theories. So we've been doing, you know, um, figuring out different sizes of and materials of yarns and how that will work when woven and the best um, best way to use different materials together. Um, and we've also been working on how to we- uh, read a weaving draft and how, you know, really the basics of how to design a pattern and how that works on the loom. Um, so yeah, we've been focused on that while we wait. And we've just recently started preparing our first um, projects that we're going to be doing, which is mostly sampling different techniques um, with different all sorts of fibers, just so I can have kind of a catalog of samples to move on from. Uh, so yeah, we've been really focused on the basics for now, um, trying to get a strong foundation. And um, can you talk a little bit, I think, Jessica, perhaps about um, kind of the different types of looms and I guess also why you and Christian decided to go with, I'm not sure what kind of loom you went with. So can you talk a little bit about that and kind of um, the process of, because uh, I know you talk, I know in like past conversations we've had, we've talked a little bit about inkle uh, looms and like tabletop looms and just uh, there seems like there's a variety of looms. So can you kind of explain a little bit for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, like me, kind of the difference between these different looms? Perfect. Yes. Um, There are, excuse me, there are many kinds of looms, uh, but at the end of the day, they all do the same function, which is to weave. And um, so a tabletop loom, for example, is like Christian has a uh, a rigid heddle loom. Uh, It's just a style of tabletop loom. 
And so it is what it is. It's on a table. It's a smaller portable type of type of loom. Um, a frame loom is used a lot for, um, a tapestry or if you're traveling, um, it's a great size because it's again, portable. Um, but the limitation of those are you don't have as many, um, pattern possibilities, or if you do, it takes longer because you don't have the, uh, equipment to help move certain threads, uh, as, as, uh, fluidly as you was a floor loom. So, um, with a floor loom, um, what that is, is a loom that you can sit at and uh, has pet treadles of what they call, but it's a pedals at the bottom. And inside the middle of the loom is like a castle. And within that castle is how is the uh, configuration of how you set up your, um, your patterning or your threads and thread them all. And so what's great about the floor loom is you can weave a lot faster because instead of on a... Um, uh, say a frame loom, you have to go in and, and pick up every thread or drop every thread. And once you press a pedal on a floor loom, that just does it magically for you. Um, not magically, there's a lot of setup, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's, you know, there's the ability to weave faster. Um, but there's also, um, with say a, uh, a floor, sorry, a frame loom or tapestry loom and a rigid heddle versus a floor loom is the amount of uh, patterning that's uh, capabilities. Like they're very minimal because they don't have as many what we call shafts. And so shafts are what hold our heddles, which hold our threads. And uh, a heddle is just this long metal with an eye in the middle for the thread to come through. And so um you can then kind of do more with more shafts and you're really limited on um, these smaller ones. So that's okay too, because the basis of weaving is plain weave and which is just an over under over under. And you can do that on any loom. It's just with the floor loom, you can kind of go above that. Um, and then we go into like overshot patterns or we go into twills and things like that, that you can achieve uh, faster. And uh um, and the reason we went with a floor loom too is because Christian already has that knowledge with the frame loom and with the rigid heddle, and they have exhausted it beyond what I would even imagine. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, you're ready for the, you know, you're ready for a floor loom. Um, and so they were already engineering it to, to go that way. Um, so it makes the most sense for us to be working on a floor loom. And also um, that's what we used historically here um, that I can find, um, you know, with the guilds and, and whatnot was a lot of LeClaire looms or a lot of hand-built floor looms um, with whatever supplies were available. So we, we kind of went that route for those two reasons. And um, this is a question for either of you, but can you talk a little bit about, um, I guess, getting materials, where you get materials um, and bringing them to the province? Uh, we're an island, so I'm just wondering how kind of ordering materials go or if there's an easily accessible spot um, in the province that you can get material. <laughs> Jessica is shaking her head. <laughs> you can take you that one, Jessica. Okay, hi. <laughs> uh, no, as of right now, there's no nothing local. Um, I mean, you could argue and say we do have some yarn stores for you know for knitting and things like that, but at the quantity you need, 
you, it's not accessible. Um, <clears throat> you know, ironically enough, the weavery downtown holds no weaving, but it used to ha- be a weaving supply store uh, at one at one time. So clearly there was a need or there was enough of, of a presence of weaving here that it had to be a, a, a source for it or brought in in a, a store. Um, but all that I can uh, all that all I can say is no, we don't. Um, and so, but there are Canadian suppliers, which is really great. We can support on a more national, local level that way. Um, so Maurice Broussard, uh, which is in Quebec, uh, they work uh, very closely with the Claire Looms, which again is a Canadian um, company. <clears throat> So we don't have to go into the States, which is great because with the exchange rate and shipping and customs and stuff, it can get really, really pricey. Um, but we order from them and uh, that's the best source that I've found. I mean, unfortunately, when you go into the more specialty stuff, um, like I work with Organza, um, I have to order that from New York. Like that's very specialized, right? Um, but, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Um but, you know, your cottons, your wools, your linens and stuff, you can get that sourced uh, um, Canadian wide, which is great. And there's also um, some places, lots of shops that have popped up right across Canada um, in PEI, in Nova Scotia, um, Ontario, of course, BC, um, you know, they're selling um, from other companies as well. So at least we can order from them and not have to worry too much about the, um, you know, the U.S., uh, that's, you know, ordering from them. Yeah. The cost and the taxation. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, we have three sets of weavers in this batch and, uh, you know, maybe there's more interest, maybe somebody will, you know, start bringing in weaving, uh, materials, who knows? (laughs) Yes. That is the hope. (laughs) Um, so I want to ask a little bit about the, the process of weaving. We talked a little bit about the loom setup. So can, um, can you explain to me kind of how, how you start to weave, what the process is. And this can be for either of you, whoever wants to, wants to start. I think we should both answer it because I come from a floor loom production art side and Christian has come from, you know, the rigid heddle tapestry product side. So I, I, yeah, I think we should both answer. Yeah, I guess for me, so I mean, with all weaving, you kind of start with your design and figure out, you know, what materials you want to use. And then the next step is to figure out um, kind of what we call the set or how, um, you know, how the fibers will be spread out. Um, So for me on a rigid heddle, what that basically means is, um, unlike a floor loom where what Jessica was talking about, you have little wires with holes that um, the threads can go through, um, they can be moved around and whatnot. Um, on a rigid heddle, there isn't that. You buy a reed that has a set um, kind of distance for each fiber. Um, so you commonly, you can buy like ones with eight ends per inch. So you can do eight warp threads per inch um, and all different sizes. So for me, it's a lot of, um, what reads do I have? And then what fibers and yarns can I get hold of? Um, a lot of it for me, since I'm a knitter, I've just used kind of knitting yarn um, and wools, um, which, you know, 
whereas Jessica's worked with a lot of like cotton and linen and all that stuff. Um, but for me, wool has just been more accessible. Um, so yeah, starting with kind of figuring out what materials you're going to use and what equipment you're going to use. And then um, on the rigid heddle, you will often do what's called direct warping. Um, so I will tie a thread to the loom and then walk that thread across my room, however long I want the warp to be, and put it on a peg and do that 200 times or however much I need. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's a process, you know, walking back and forth. Um, and then from there on, I will thread each hole in the reed um, and progress like that. Um, so that's kind of like the beginning warping process. Um, and then, yeah, you get into more fun stuff. You then have to tie the warp on to the loom um, and get a, for me, the hardest part for a while has been getting a proper tension. Um, so when you tie those that warp, those vertical threads to your loom, they all have to be an even tension, um, which is really hard to do. Um, and it's taken me a while to like figure out, you know, what kind of, what knots work for me that will keep things secure, but like I can undo if need be. Um, and then like, like we've mentioned, every fiber is different. So wool is very stretchy. So getting a good tension with wool can be kind of weird because um, it might stretch more, might not. Um, so yeah, there's the next step is like that kind of tying on, making sure your tension is good. And then from there on out, you can just start weaving um there's all different things you can do um and like finishing techniques like hem stitching is one of my favorite things to do uh which i think jessica might think is chaotic um which is basically when you weave something the beginning and end of it are loose so if you're not careful they can just unravel um so hem stitching is a way to just while it's still on the loom i can sew everything together and secure it um I've been able to do that because I'm working with like larger yarns and um, less threads. So yeah, sewing up 200 threads is a little different than like hundreds and hundreds of like minuscule threads. So as we progress to, you know, the floor loom, some things are going to be left out. Uh, but yeah, so there's all these little techniques that I've kind of, that go into the process, at least for me on the Ridge of Heddle. Like Jessica mentioned, I've mostly been working with plain weave. Um, and that's basically under, over, under, over, under, over. Very basic. Um, I move my read up and down, up and down. Um, and those are the two configurations. Like Jessica mentioned, I've been, because I like beat that horse to death, I was trying to find new ways to expand the rigid pedal, which you can do, um, but it's not built for it. So it's very complicated. And as you know, I've shown Jessica my like, charts of me trying to figure out how to like thread everything so I can make cooler patterns. Um, and that's kind of like, that is a workout on the brain. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my process. I, I don't even know what answer that is, but yeah. <laughs> and Jessica, can you talk a little bit about uh, your process? Absolutely. Uh, that was a great answer, Christian. Um, yeah. So my process is, 
uh, similar but different. Um, so same thing in the beginning, you know, there, if you have a project idea, first you have to start with, okay, well, what is it I want to make? And from there comes a lot of math. And the math is because, like Christian said, fiber, there's so many different kinds of fiber and they all act differently. Yeah, a lot of pre-planning. And then once that's done, um, what's great about the floor loom, um, instead of, you know, walking from one side of the room to the other, that's your length. You know, we have uh, warping mills or warping boards um, that can hold up to, you know, anywhere from four yards to 30 yards of fabric. So you can get lots of yardage and you don't have to run around your room a million times. You can just stand in one place and, you know, use your arm to go back and forth on the board or stay still with the mill and just, you know, turn it and then your thread goes on there. So um, that's a definitely different from the rigid heddle and even the frame loom uh, type of, of weaving. Um, and then from there, we have to organize our beautifully wound threads and through um, different tying methods and whatnot. Um, and then that gets transferred to the loom. And, and, you know, a lot of weavers say that the setup is longer than the actual weaving, which is usually true, uh, but it's rewarding. I swear. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening.